0: Well, good morning, church family. Great to see you. Guests, we're so glad that you're with us today. All the online crowd, uh, we're glad you're here. And uh, man, we're going to have a great time together opening God's Word. What's one of your earliest memories of learning the lesson that you can't believe everything that everyone tells you? (laughs) You know, that, uh, that not everyone's looking out for your best interest. And what did that lesson cost you? Now, for me, as a young boy, I was raised on the coast of California. I spent my early childhood in Santa Cruz, California. And every year around Easter, down at the boardwalk, uh, we would have an egg hunt, right? And so uh, on Easter, they would just release hundreds of us kids onto the beaches to go look for these eggs. And inside the eggs were tokens to the arcade games and tickets for rides and money and candy and all that kind of stuff. And I remember I was little, and I had my basket full of 10 eggs, man doing good. And this uh, older kid comes up to me, and he's got a basket with like 20 eggs. And he says, hey, you want to trade? I said, well, yes, I would. (laughs) Yeah. So we trade. And he goes his way, and I go my way. A few minutes later, I'm cracking open into these 20 eggs. Guess what? They're all Empty! (laughs) You guys know the answer to that. Is it because you would do the same thing or is it no? Yeah, I I totally got taken. I was like, no way. And uh I realized right then that part of my frustration was in myself that I was so gullible to believe this guy, right? And And so it cost me, you know, all the prizes that I had in that basket. What about you? When you were taken, when you were gullible, what did it cost you? Did it cost you something financially? Did it cost you something relationally? Did it cost you you something emotionally? And, And losing eggs with goodies in it, you know, taking a financial, relational, emotional hit, that's one thing. But to be spiritually fooled in a way and so gullible to believe anything that's out there in the spiritual realm that could actually cost you your soul... That's a whole nother level of gullibility. And so we want to talk today about discerning the difference between true and false religious teaching. Do you feel like you can discern the difference between true and false religious teaching? Would you say you are more spiritually gullible or would you say you're more spiritually wise? Now, uh, we're going to look at a group of people today that were being spiritually gullible as we kick off the study for the, this summer in the book of Galatians. And the Christians in Galatia were being spiritually gullible. It's as if they received an egg, if you will, that was loaded with you know information about how to be forgiven by God, how to be made right with God, how to walk new um, by the power of the Holy Spirit, and all of this, and they were being duped to trade it for not only an empty egg... But one that would actually give them a false sense of security. And if they propagated that teaching, could actually lead people to hell. That it would cost people their souls. And so, what we hold here in the Bible is this book of Galatians in there, which is an account of God helping these Christians in Galatia become spiritually wise, not spiritually gullible, that they could follow the true, accurate teaching that reinforced the freedom that was theirs in Christ. See, as Christians, we've been liberated from the grip of sin, to walk by the Holy Spirit, And the Holy Spirit helps us to be spiritually wise and not to be fooled into beliefs that would lead us into slavery, again to sin, or into false religious thinking. So I want to invite you right now, we're not going to delay, just open up your Bibles or fire up your Bible apps to the book of Galatians in the New Testament. And we're going to be in chapter one today, just looking at the first 10 verses as we kick off this series in the book of Galatians. So Galatians 1. The verses are on the screen if you don't have a Bible, but I encourage all of you, bring your Bibles. Have a Bible app that you use and take notes in, all of those things. And if you don't have a Bible today, uh, on the way out, stop and get one for free. We just want to make sure everybody has their own Bible. But let's start. Galatians chapter 1, verse 1. Paul, the author's identifying himself. Let's start with a little orientation and history here on the front end. This letter is being penned by the Apostle Paul under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit to these churches in Galatia, modern-day Turkey. And if you were to go to Acts 13 and 14, you don't need to go there now, but it's fun to see later. In Acts 13 and 14, it records how these churches got started by the Apostle Paul and his associate um, Barnabas that were there uh, sharing the gospel. And so we know about four of these churches that were started. There was that in Lystra, Derbe, Iconium, and Pisidian Antioch. And so these are the churches that we're referring to here. And Shortly after Paul's journey from that uh, missionary journey, he got back to Antioch, and he penned right around 49 AD this letter to go back to circulate among those churches because he heard already in their infancy they were struggling with false theological teaching that had invaded the church. And so Paul starts this letter by reminding them that his calling And his authority as an apostle, not it wasn't because of men. No man appointed him to this office, if you will. But it was due to his own real and personal encounter with the resurrected Jesus Christ, who converted Paul, right, from Saul to Paul, as an enemy of Christianity to a man who was called to lifelong ministry and one of the leading voices of the Christian faith. And we'll talk more about that next week. But I want you also to notice here as we start the gospel Content that are in the opening verses. We see in verse 1 that Jesus Christ was raised from the dead. We see in verse 4 that Jesus Christ gave himself for our sins to deliver us. These are non negotiable parts of the true gospel of Jesus Christ. The word gospel means good news. It's from the Greek word euangelion, which is where we get our English word evangelism. It means to share the good news. And the fact that God in spite of our sinfulness, that God loved us so much that he sent Jesus Christ to die on the cross, be raised from the grave so that we can receive forgiveness through the free gift of grace from God is absolutely the best news for humanity. And so this is the good news. Now, there are a lot of summary definitions of the gospel out there. Uh, there There are a lot of good ones. One of the ones I like is from the Wycliffe Bible Encyclopedia. It says this, The central truth of the gospel is that God has provided a way of salvation for men through the gift of his son to the world. He suffered as a sacrifice for sin, overcame death, and now offers a share in his triumph to all who will accept it. The gospel is good news because it is, and I want to invite you to read this with me, a gift of God, not something that must be earned by penance or by self-improvement. We know so many people are still trapped, still enslaved by that thinking but it's not the true gospel. You know, the gospel in a sentence would look like this. The good news of God's redemption of sinful humanity through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. So God has liberated us from sin, from death, from slavery to our flesh through Jesus and now extends an invitation for all to be invited into forgiveness to walk new in Christ and to secure a place in heaven through belief in Jesus. This is good news. This is the gospel. But this gospel and the purity of this gospel was being threatened in the churches in Galatia. And Paul caught wind of it and was addressing it and he was confronting it and he was correcting the Galatians who were being spiritually gullible and getting pulled in. Renowned preacher of the 1800s, Charles Spurgeon says this in his commentary on Galatians of this moment. He says, Paul loved the souls of men, and to tolerate spiritual poison is to aid and abet in the murder of souls. There is no gospel under heaven but the one gospel of Jesus Christ. And so out of love for the Galatians and concern for their souls, Paul addresses the poisonous threat to their faith in Christ and is trying to encourage them to wise up don't be fooled. Don't be, don't believe everything everybody's telling you because you've got this false teaching that's now infected your community. You know, oftentimes, especially for those who are newer in their faith in Christ, and if you're not grounded in your faith, and if you don't have a strong understanding of the gospel, then you can be threatened also by seductive and subtle religious teaching. Or your faith can be stunted because you're steeped in deep roots of tradition that are actually unbiblical. And so we don't want to be spiritually gullible and depart or not receive the full true gospel of Christ. That's what's going on here. Let's continue as uh, Paul takes them to task. Look at verse 6. He says, I'm astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. Let's stop there. Paul's expressing his amazement. He says, I'm astonished. I'm stunned. Like, I can't believe what I'm hearing that you would so quickly depart from what I taught you. Now, when he says so quickly, it could really mean one or both of these things. It can mean, A, I wasn't with you that long ago. And I'm I'm barely back home, and you're already drifting. Really? So quickly? Or it could also mean, and also mean, that uh, you understand the truth, but you so quickly abandon it when someone else brings a different idea along. And so he's amazed and stunned that this is what's happening, that they were being gullible in this moment. And notice here, when you go back to verse 6, he says, you're quickly deserting him. See, when we depart from the gospel, we're not departing from merely a religion, or from a system of beliefs or structure, we're departing from a person. He says, you leaving what I've taught you is actually defecting from Jesus. You're you're leaving a person, not just a belief system. And so they were defecting from Jesus himself who offered forgiveness and salvation freely. And this departure from Christ was to a different gospel. And Paul quickly clarifies, there's not really another gospel But you're buying into this distortion, this counterfeit, this fabricated version of the gospel of Jesus. And if you guys notice, you will often find that false teaching doesn't always come in this radical, obvious departure from accurate biblical theology. But a lot of times, false teaching will be subtle and sneaky and seductive and just little shifts. Little movements away that gradually lead you from trusting in Jesus Christ alone for salvation. That's what was happening here. And the Galatians, as a byproduct of that, were being troubled. It says those who have troubled you. It means that they were being thrown into confusion. And so many people are confused right now spiritually. There's so many beliefs and churches are teaching different things and spiritual leaders on TV are teaching different things. We're not that far off from these guys being thrown into confusion or unsettled and disturbed by some people. What are the some people that Paul is referring to here? Well, first you have to understand the makeup of the early church. Uh, The early church was basically made up of two groups. One was Jews, the Jewish people, Hebrews, Israel. The other were Gentiles. Now, I'm not saying it was 50-50. Don't don't go with the illustration 100%. But you basically had two groups making up the church. You had the Jews and all the non-Jews, which are referred to as Gentiles. And then in that Jewish portion, then you had this little group that came out of there called the Judaizers. The Judaizers were stirring up basically a spirit of jealousy and legalism within the church. And and it's easy to understand how this was happening because if if you were Jewish and, and you come to faith in Jesus and understand the gospel, here's what you have as the big picture. It was the Jewish people that God had distinctly selected to glorify himself among all the people groups. It was the Jewish people who were enslaved in Egypt. They had to go through the exodus. They had to live in the wilderness. It was the Jewish people that had to conquer the land of Canaan. It was the Jewish people that received the prophets and the Mosaic law. It was the Jewish people that um, had to fight the battles and persecution and the Babylonian and and slavery and all these things. And Jesus was Jewish. It was a Jewish Messiah who came up. And so there's this huge Jewish element. And then all of a sudden, the Gentiles, all the non-Jews, just get to slide right in. Man, we didn't have to be enslaved by anybody. We didn't have to, you know, go through all that you went through. But now through the power of Christ, we get to just come right in. And they're going, time out here. What about Jewish history? What about the Jewish laws and ceremonies? What about the Jewishness of the faith? And so basically, this convincing group of Judaizers, which some were probably saved, and they were just off base, and some were not saved, and they were leading people down a different path. This group basically said, in order to become a Christian, you have to become Jewish first. It's a prerequisite. You can't be saved unless you become Jewish, meaning that people in the New Testament, in their view, would have to start to obey the ceremonial washings, to, to participate in the dietary laws, to observe the special feast. And here's the kicker for the men, means circumcision, meaning you can't be baptized until you're circumcised. I'd like to see how that would go over in our baptism classes, right? Right? We're coming to the end of the year going, dude, how come we don't have any guys getting baptized, man? This has been a rough year for male <laughs> baptisms, you know? That's what was going on. You know, we see these Judaizers show up first in the book of Acts early on. Acts 15:1 says, some men came down from Judea and were teaching the brothers, those who were followers of Christ, unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be what? I mean, you're going, what? Are you serious? And so in multiple places, this is addressed and confronted and countered. Paul being one of the voices, Galatians 6.15, for example, for neither circumcision counts for anything, nor uncircumcision, but a new creation. It's not what you do to your flesh that counts. It's what's going on in your heart, that the heart believes in Jesus, that you're a follower of Christ through and through through faith. It doesn't matter what you're doing with the laws and ceremonies in the flesh. And so how frustrating for Paul to see these Galatians who who at one point were enslaved in this thinking that I've got to earn my way to God, I've got to earn my salvation, I've got to do good works, I've got to do all this, you know, these laws and obey these religious principles, and then I'll maybe be okay with God, be liberated from that through the understanding that Jesus' death on the cross, Jesus' resurrection freed them from having to do that, and now they're recipients of God's grace. It's free, and now they're getting swept back in to thinking they got to earn their salvation again. They've got to jump through all these hoops again to be right with God. And so this was the false gospel that was getting rooted into the Galatian church early on. And this false gospel was a hybrid gospel. It was Jesus plus works get you forgiveness. Or Jesus plus religion get you forgiveness. When we know what the Bible teaches is that Jesus did everything. It was his death that we couldn't die. It was his resurrection that, that we couldn't have been raised from that, that paid for our forgiveness. And so when you understand the gospel correctly, it's Jesus plus nothing. It's just faith in Christ. It's just faith in Christ. It's not Jesus and fill in the blank. So this was this hybrid gospel. You know, Galatians 2.16a says, Yet we know that a person is not justified, made right with God, by works of the law but through, what's it say? Faith in Jesus Christ. You know, there are still groups today with beliefs very similar to those of the New Testament Judaizers. They're teaching a hybrid gospel. They're mixing law and grace. They're denying that it's just faith in Jesus alone. They're adding stipulations to what it means to be saved and forgiven. And so sure, for the first century Judaizers, maybe it was the dietary laws and purity washings and circumcision, but there's some religions today saying you have to obey certain sacraments to be saved. You've got to be baptized. You've got to have confession. You, you have to have communion. You have to do good works. There's still teaching out there that says God's grace comes through performance. God's grace comes through earning it rather than just trusting Christ. And so we have to be gospel wise, not gospel gullible to this kind of teaching. Paul said something similar to the early Christians living in the very immoral Grecian city of Corinth. They were struggling with the same departure. looked a little different, but here's what he says in 2 Corinthians 11. Verses 3-4, to he says, I'm afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve by his cunning, your thoughts will be led astray from a sincere and pure devotion to Christ. For if someone comes and proclaims another Jesus than the one we proclaimed, or if you receive a different spirit from the one you received, or if you accept a different gospel from the one you accepted, you put up with it. You put up with it readily enough. Look at verses 13 through 15. He says, for such men are false apostles, deceitful workmen, disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. Let's just pause there. There's this mythological thinking that when the devil shows up and wants to lead people astray, he's going to be obviously sinister. You know, the whole horns, talon, tail, pitchfork, you know, He's going to be grotesque. It's going to be obvious. That's not what the scriptures say. Look at verse 14. It's no wonder, for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. Verse 15. So it's no surprise if his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness. Their end will correspond to their deeds. Satan is going to be sneaky. He's going to be subtle. He's not going to show up and go, I'm going to teach you falsehood. Follow me. He's going to say, I'm going to just tweak things a little. And you're going to like what you hear. And it's going to feel good. And it's going to look good. And maybe I'll put a charismatic leader in the front that's very persuasive. And I'm going to pull thousands, if not millions, into a false faith. That's what the Bible teaches. And so we have to be gospel wise. Why, though? What's the point of being gospel wise? Because your soul counts on it and not just your soul. Parents, the souls of your kids. Kids, the souls of your parents. Everyone within peripheral range around you, your neighbors, your friends, your coworkers, everybody around you has a soul that's gonna spend either eternity in heaven or hell. And there's one true gospel. And so if you receive the false one and and you pass it on, or even worse, you stand by quietly, While your loved ones believe a false gospel, then we're aiding and abetting in their lostness. So so think about it this way. Anybody can be convinced that a stick is straight. I can say, this stick is straight. And I I I can be very persuasive. I can talk to you about it. But in reality, it might be crooked. There's some teaching out there that's very crooked. Like some of it's very obvious, right? Like, when you look around some teaching, like, these guys don't have it together. There's a couple wires loose, you know? Some teaching is very obvious, but some teaching looks like it's very crooked until you take the right teaching and you put it up next to it. See, when you take the straight, then you can recognize the crooked. When you see the truth and you know the truth, then you can recognize falsehood and see the crookedness is there. But if you don't have the straight, anybody can convince you that this is the right way, this is the truth, bet your soul on it. I'll tell you what, I'm not going to bet my soul on it if I know that this is the right truth, right? And so we have to be wise. We have to understand the truth and the true gospel of Jesus because our souls count on it. Do you feel familiar enough? Do you feel familiar enough with the accurate gospel of Jesus? Do you feel like you grasp it enough that you can identify when something else comes along that doesn't match up? Or would you say you're still a little bit spiritually gullible and would actually be convinced to go, no, it looks good to me. looks straight. looks right on. We don't want to be gullible with the gospel. You know, Paul even takes us to a couple extreme examples on this. Look look at verse 8 now with me. Let's just finish it off, 8 through 10. Paul says, but even if we, translate, if the apostle Paul, Barnabas, the other disciples come along later, circle back around. Even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preached to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. For am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Am I seeking to please man? If I were still seeking to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. See, the Judaizers were trying to put some propaganda out there that Paul was just trying to make people happy. He's he's putting a teaching out there that's just going to make people feel good. He's going, oh, time out here. I'm not trying to please man. I'm just trying to download what God told me. And so he's saying, even if we come around, even if an angel comes around and teaches you something contrary, don't buy into it. Like what would happen if all of a sudden tonight, as you're drifting off to sleep, an angel appears in your room and says, you are the chosen one, all right? Everyone else is wrong. Everyone's gone off base, but I'm going to reveal to you fresh revelation. I'm going to get to you accurate understanding and download something to you. Would you be like, awesome? Or, or what if a Bible teacher that you really, really like, someone that's on TV or someone you've listened to, starts to teach things that are just a little off, are you going to be so gullible to go like, oh, but I like them? I like what they say, and they make me feel good about myself. And so, you know, it's okay. It's not that crooked. This is what's happening here. The the angel thing is not that far off. I mean, the classic historical example here is the teaching of Mormonism, right? It began by its founder, Joseph Smith, saying that an angel named Moroni appeared to him in 1823, revealed to him the location of some golden tablets. He later dug those tablets up. He had a special seer stone that he put into his hat, and then he put this hat around And he translated this ancient Egyptian language into modern English, and it became the Book of Mormon, which ironically, the Book of Mormon puts on its front cover another testament of Jesus Christ. And so it's like, you can look at that and go, it says right there it's another testament. It's, It's clearly off base. But yet, there's tons and tons of people that have bought into this false teaching. But again, it's, it's not the angelic, the wayward angel is not what we're worried about. It's that Bible teacher that you really like, that all of a sudden they start to drift from biblical theology. And it starts to sound a little bit like this. Everybody's going to go to heaven. Like, no, there's, there's no prerequisite. Just, just, if you just have love in your heart, that's all you need. God's good with you. Or it starts to sound like this. Um, the, nobody goes to hell. Or only the uber bad people from history, you know. Um, In fact, we're not even sure there is a hell. And you start to hear these things start to come out of these teachers and and you start to hear this crooked teaching. But what do you do when you know the right teaching? Do you get persuaded by a charismatic leader or someone who just sounds really good or sounds, uh, you know, like they're teaching something that feels good to your spirit? Or does it match up with what God tells us in his word? So we have to be Spiritually wise. Alan Cole, who's a theologian and Bible scholar, he, he died in 2003. He said this He says, The outward person of the messenger does not validate his message. Rather, the nature of the message validates the messenger. And so basically if the message, the gospel is truthful, then you can rely on that teacher and what they're saying if it's tied to the Bible and it's accurate. But if they start to drift, no matter how well they dress, no matter how big and white their smile are and all that kind of stuff, you've got to listen to what God is saying in his word. And God gives us a very strong warning if we teach or follow the teaching differently. Look what he says here again. He says, even if we are an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preached to you, let him be accursed. The word there is anathema. Anathema means set apart for destruction. It means dedicated to destruction. Essentially what it's saying is it's condemned to hell. False teachers, and we saw that in Corinthians about they're going to get what their works deserve, is they're going to spend eternity in hell because they were teaching falsely. But we don't want to be foolish and believe what they're teaching and follow them there. And so we have to be gospel-wise because the cost of being a false teacher is great. It'll cost you your soul. And the cost of following a false teacher is great. It'll cost you your soul. So as we're trying to find out and stick to the right gospel. Obviously, the Bible is priority one. But sometimes there's little tools that help us. Here's, here's one that might help you out. How do you identify fake gospels? Here's, here's a little tool that's very helpful. It's been helpful for me over the years. It's called the mathematics of false gospels. Here's the mathematics of the false gospels. It adds to God's word. They're going to add other spiritual writings. They're going to add unbiblical teaching. They're going to add things on top of the Bible uh, that you have to read or believe. They're going to subtract from the deity of Christ. Meaning they're going to say, oh, Jesus was just a good teacher. Jesus was just one of the many prophets. Jesus wasn't God. They're going to subtract from the deity of Christ. They're going to multiply the requirements of salvation. They're going to put other prerequisites on top of forgiveness from God. And so it's going to be Jesus plus something. Like you've got to be gospel wise, not gospel gullible and go, wait, you just said Jesus plus good works. Jesus plus baptism. Jesus plus whatever. That's not what the Bible teaches. And they divide the church. It sends strife and rifts and division among the body of Christ. And this is very helpful to understand. When you encounter teaching that does, at least one of those, be very, very cautious because they're taking you down the wrong road. Now, I want to press in a little bit further here and actually give you uh, eight samples of false gospels. Now, I, I gave 13 and a little definition for each one that will show up on our social media and blog in the next couple of days. Uh, you'll find you know what I'm about to say there. This is just a little revision from a book called Counterfeit Gospels by Trevin Wax. But uh, here's, here's just eight examples of false gospels. There's the therapeutic gospel, that Christ's death gives us power to reach our potential, that Jesus died to help us feel happy and good about ourselves. That's therapeutic in nature. Or the moralistic gospel. Christ's death is to make us better people and help us have the willpower to be more moral. Or the legalistic gospel. Salvation and forgiveness is earned through religious rituals and rules. There's the spiritually neutral gospel. As long as we have a sincere faith in some sort of spiritual truth of some kind, God's gonna take you. They all, all paths lead to God, all paths lead to heaven. That's spiritually neutral. There's the prosperity gospel that Jesus wants us to be healthy and wealthy. If we really have faith in Jesus, then the brokenness of this world won't touch us. Okay. Uh, there's the social activist gospel. Jesus died and rose so that we can be social and political activists. It's really not about people coming to know about Jesus. It's just about getting your cause out there in the world. There's the labelistic gospel, which we see more and more of this today. It's dedication to our own subcultural version of Christianity. Lots of labels out there, conservative, liberal, evangelical. It's often tied to political, denominational, racial, or gender associations, So what happens is you convince yourself that only the people who understand the Bible and Jesus accurately are the ones who align with your label. And they align with your point of view and your subculture. So let's have a little pop quiz here. If you understand what just is taking place with the Judaizers, which one of those gospels is taking place in Galatia? Which one do you think is the strongest one? Most like it. Legalistic, absolutely. The legalistic gospel, which then swerves them into which other one? The works, right? Because it was legalistic, now they're going to have to go to works. So it's one thing looking at the Galatians, but let me ask you this. Which one of these has actually tempted you to be led astray? When you look at that list, some of you have encountered these. Some of you have heard these. You might even have a dear friend or a a spiritual teacher that you listen to that might be taking you down one of those paths. That what's happening is you're starting to listen to them going, "It, it sounds pretty straight to me. When you compare it to what God says, it's clearly not. Which one of those, well, maybe this is the better question. Which one of those has the greatest potential to lead you off path? Which one's gonna pull you away from the true gospel? Like, let me just give you an example. Um, Parents, when you sit down with your kids and say, you need to do the right thing because it's the right thing. You know what you're teaching them? The moralistic gospel. You know what? You can have a moral kid and they can still go to hell. That's not the gospel. The gospel is, you want to do evil? I want to do evil. God knows that. He resolved it. He sent Jesus. Mommy and daddy can't do the right thing without Jesus. You can't do the right thing without Jesus because we need Jesus to make God happy. That's the gospel. The moralistic gospel, you just got to be good. The therapeutic gospel, when all of a it's like, man, I'm, I'm unhappy and there's, there's hard things in my life. I don't know if God's real. Well, you're giving in to the therapeutic gospel. The God is only up there going like, oh, you guys are so unhappy. Let me fix that for you. <laughs> Is there joy in Christ? Yes. Does God really want us to be happy? Yes. But the path to that is trusting God. And sometimes that path's gonna take you through a lot of trouble before you get to the other side. And so don't get suckered by false gospels. So there's 13 more, bigger definitions all online in the next couple of days. Check it out. Have you been gospel-wise? Here's the life message I want you guys to walk away with today: be gospel-wise. Be gospel wise. How do we do that? Here's how to be gospel wise. First, know the gospel. You've got to know the gospel. Be very familiar with the right way. You know, a lot of you know this. For the people who have a vocation of identifying counterfeit money, they don't study fake money. They study what? The real bill. So when they see the real bill, they can easily identify the counterfeits. You've got to know the gospel you got to know the biblical truth so that you can identify it. I want to come back to that verse I shared with you earlier, Galatians 2.16a. It says, yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. If you notice in your program, there's four verses that through this summer, through the series, we're going to give you four memory verses that we want you to lock in. So as families, have fun, practice with each other, meal times, car time, you know, your personal... Uh, Devotion time. This is the first verse that we want you to memorize. Galatians 2.16a. Let's say it together. Galatians 2.16a. Yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have in Christ Jesus. Great, great job. So here's the deal. Someone, you're sitting down to coffee and someone's saying, hey, you know, I, I, know you, I know you have this religious thing, you know God, but you know, have you been baptized yet? Have you you done this? Have you done this? Have you done this? Because that's what you really need to to be made right with God. You go, that's interesting. Because Galatians 2.16.8 says that we're not justified by works through the law, but we're actually uh, through faith in Jesus Christ. So why are you trying to make me do works? Right? Like that, you got to guard your heart and mind with God's word. Know the gospel. Another resource I'm giving you guys this week on our blog and our social media is 23 verses to help you be gospel wise. Uh, Basically, 23 verses to kind of orbit around the essence of the gospel and say, just, just learn these. Maybe just read them. You know, add them to your devotional mix, and you know, listen to them, whatever. And, and let, Again, you've got to focus on the gospel. Know the gospel to be gospel-wise. Also, you've got to defend the gospel. Paul recognized this, and he was calling it out. He was defending the gospel from what was fake. In the same way, we have to be able to defend the gospel. Recognize the crooked stick and speak to it. Confront it. Call it out. In 1 Peter 3.15... We're told to honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a what? Defense. To anyone who asks for a reason for the hope that's in you, please say this with me. Yet do it with gentleness and respect. Man, how you say it, it's gonna really make a bigger impact than what you say. But we gotta be we gotta be prepared to defend the gospel to make an apologetic for the gospel. You know, Jesus warned us that there's going to be false teachers. One of the many places he did that was Matthew 24. He says, false Christs and false prophets will arise and perform great signs. They'll be able to do miracles. Remember, Satan disguises himself, right? And so there's going to be these false teachers, false prophets that arise. They can do great signs and wonders so as to lead astray, if possible, even the elect. Even people who know the truth can get sucked, sucked into this. Also in 2 Timothy 4, we're told, for the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions, and they will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off to myth. He's saying as we get closer and closer to the return of Christ, a lot of people are going to leave this because they like the sound of this. We live in that era now, don't we? Some of you have been either tempted to go after this or you've got friends or family that have gone after this. And it plays out in their spiritual life, their home life, their relationships. They're falling away. So we have to know how to defend the gospel. But with gentleness and respect. How to be gospel-wise? Know the gospel. You've got to defend the gospel. And you've got to share the gospel. Jesus has told us to share the gospel. Look at Mark 16, 15. It says this. And he said to them, go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to some of creation. Is that what it says? To, To... a percentage of creation. Share the gospel with the part of creation that you feel comfortable with. Uh, Share the gospel with part of the creation that's like you, thinks like you, looks like you, acts like you, same gender as you, same ethnicity as you, same social class as you. Is that what it says? Jesus told us to go and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. That's our job as Christians. The reason some of you aren't gospel wise is you don't share the gospel. You think you know the truth, but obviously you're not even convinced because you're not telling anybody, which just violates everything else we do. We like a sports team. We tell people about it. It's amazing. You can log hours, hours of conversations and posts about referees and people who did blunders in the basketball games. You got, you got, you know, the airways are f- jammed full of people spending a lot of time talking about that, and compared to sharing their faith, it's like, what? And so we have to be proactive in sharing this message. And here's what's so cool. The more you share the gospel, the more familiar you get with it. And the joy you get to experience is seeing other people who need Christ come to believe and experience what God has for them. And so we have to share the gospel. And I just want to take that even one step further on this note of sharing the gospel. Like we're all called to share, but in a church of our size, like when you think about what we're reading here, we're reading a book that God had given Paul because he converted Paul, and then he sent Paul out, and Paul went to Galatia, planted these churches because he shared the gospel with these people, and now you have all these people that know the Lord. Like for some of you, when we start talking about sharing the gospel and we start looking at this, some of you have been or will be called to be church planters or campus pastors or full-time missionaries in the field. And every time we start talking like this, there's a pull in your spirit. Like you want to learn more. You want to grow as a leader. You want to be equipped. God's stirring in you, and you know you can't run indefinitely from this lifelong call to go out. And so as we talk about sharing the gospel, some of you need to stop running from God's calling in your life to be a church planter or a campus pastor or a full-time missionary in the field. And so if that's you, my encouragement is your next steps are to keep praying and laying that before the Lord. Ask Him for clarity and courage. Also, let us know. Like in your response card, there's a little line that says other. This is where you can put, I think God's calling me to full-time ministry. I'd love to talk to somebody. Turn that in the basket. And we'll, one of us will contact you and say, man, share with us what God's putting on your heart, and maybe God can use us to help you take some of those next steps into whatever God's calling you to do. But that's all part of sharing the gospel. So we got to be gospel-wise. How? you got to know the gospel. You've got to defend the gospel, and you've got to share the gospel. So when I think about all this together, okay, so some kid took my eggs, and I lost out on some prizes. It was a bummer. But you know what? By the grace of God, no one's going to take my Jesus away from me. No one's going to twist the gospel. I'm not going to believe some foolish, twisted, you know, perversion of the gospel. No one's taken my heaven away. No one's going to take my new life in Christ away. And no one's going to take what the gospel's done in my life away. So take, take my eggs. You can have them because I got something a lot better. But for you, do you know the gospel? Can you defend the gospel? Are you sharing the gospel? Are you being spiritually gullible? we you being spiritually wise out there? My hope is that you will become very wise with the gospel. Here's what we're going to do. I just want to close in prayer for a minute. I want to pray for us as a church and just as believers. I also want to invite some of you who maybe your first step, whether you're online right now, whether you're here, your first next step is to give your life to Christ. You've got to believe the gospel. Give your life to Christ. And then we're going to wrap that up. And then um, I'm going to invite another pastor up with us. And uh, we're just going to pray over some of our mission teams going out share a couple cool things with you, and then we'll receive our offering and close in worship. But let's just pray together right now. Let's pray. God, thank you for not leaving us blind, uninformed, helpless. You have given us the good news, the best news, the gospel, that Jesus Christ came gave himself for our sins, delivered us, liberated us from our own evil inside us, the eternal consequences of that evil, of our sins. you freed us to new life in Christ. Father, may we never be gullible and get pulled back to spiritual ignorance or get pulled into a false gospel, false teaching. Father, may we never Quietly stand to the side when people we know and love are believing false things. Father, we confess that we've done that. We've stood by silently. Uh, We've allowed false teaching, appealing teaching to maybe pull us off base. Father, forgive us. Thank you for Jesus who died and who rose from the dead. Help us to be courageous, help us to be bold, help us to speak with confidence about the gospel help us know the gospel in our head and heart memorize verses anchor ourselves to your word help us defend it when it's under attack by spiritual bullies help us to share it with all those around us who don't know it so desperately desperately need Christ need the joy the freedom and the forgiveness and the eternity that you offer And if you don't know Christ today, all you have to do is take a step of faith by just telling the Lord what we basically have shared with you today. You could just say something like, Jesus, I've believed wrong teaching. I've been trying to earn my way to you. Or I just thought everybody got a free pass. But today, I believe that you died on the cross for my sins that you rose from the grave to give me eternal life. And I believe and I repent and I turn and I trust you now. Come into my life. I want to follow you. Father, help us to be faithful. Help us to be gospel wise. We ask in Jesus' name. We all sit together. Amen. Hey, a couple things. If you uh, place your faith in Christ, they're in your response card. There's a little box that says, I'm giving my life to Christ today. Just check that, circle it, exit something. Turn that into the basket coming around in a few minutes. We're going to get in touch with you and tell you how you grow, how you grow in your relationship with Jesus. It's very important. Um, I want to invite Pastor Rick Imers to come up. What we're going to do here before we receive our offering is just uh, pray for some of our teams. It's summer, so we have a lot of people leaving for local, regional um, international mission trips. Uh, I get the joy of leading one of the Indonesia teams. We're leaving in just a couple days. Uh, we're going to be going on to the island. Uh, we're going to be walking in villages that have never heard the name of Jesus. No, I do not have a dress on. It's called a sarong. It's a cultural thing, just so you know. <laughs> I haven't seen you in a sarong yet, by the way. We got to get that. I have one. You do? Okay, we got to get you that sarong. Okay. Um, I only wear it on special occasions. Okay. (laughs) Maybe, maybe I have to wear it next time I teach. That be no. Never mind (laughs) us. But um, that's so cool. And part of our team trip is we're going to be able to sit down with a group of Bible translators. A lot of you have been faithfully praying and supporting our Unleash campaign, which is designed to eliminate our debt. Uh, Our debt's down to like 80,000 or maybe even less right now. So God's moving that ball. That's great. The Bible. Translation for Indonesia is funded, and it's in process. Uh, Our team gets to sit down with the translators and talk to them, pray with them, encourage them. I'd love to touch something, you know, get to see the Bible coming online because you guys are investing there. And then also, uh, we're setting aside money to launch the first campus as God leads us in that direction. So thank you for your faithfulness. Uh, These teams get to go because of your investment here, so thank you for that. Uh, We want to pray for these teams. So Rick, how how can we be praying for these teams getting ready to go?
1: Yeah, well, the first thing that I would say is... um uh, I know you were, I was in here in the 930 service, and one thing that you were really encouraging is, uh, first, praying that, like, what if God is calling you all to be a part of something like this? Not only on a short-term level, but maybe some of you young people sitting in here, you can actually have a career as a missionary. I've talked to people recently that they've been like, I didn't know it was a career. I didn't know you could actually make a living doing that. Well, we we connect with an organization called the International Mission Board, And you can actually do that as a career. Um, And you can actually, if you work with a Cleveland Clinic, for example, there's Cleveland Clinics in Abu Dhabi. You could go there and be a missionary partnering with church planters in that region. So no matter what your career field is, the, the occupation of missionary looks different than maybe what we've often thought. Because now, like through the IMB, they're looking for people who are just Everyday Joes who are willing to relocate around the world and do it as a living and connect you to church planters. It's a really cool thing. So one is pray for the trip, but pray that maybe God's wanting to send you short-term. Maybe God's calling you to go as an occupation. Something to consider, especially you young people as you're thinking about degrees and college and all that. Um, But we've got three teams that we're going to pray for this summer. One is uh, two trips are going to Indonesia, as Pastor Chad shared. He's leading the first one. It's leaving June 12th and coming back the 22nd. Uh, we've got a regional trip. We go to Appalachia in West Virginia. It's led by Shola uh, Oshni. And then July 19th to the 31st, uh, Court Cable and Lauren Shepherd are going to be leading a trip back to- out to Indonesia as well. Um, recently in our team meeting, Joe Valeni was sharing. It was kind of neat how... The first trip that he went out to Indonesia, um, he went out there and he said, man, I got a chance to pull out my guitar and I started singing worship songs in a place that nobody had ever sung worship songs before. Exalting the name of Christ in an unreached people group in a village where they said that nobody had ever gone before. And it was actually a bunch of our high school students sitting around, the only time ever known in civilization that somebody was exalting Christ's name around a campfire in that region. You guys can have a part of that. You, not only financially you give so that can happen, but you can actually go and do it. Um, so be praying for that. So those are the three trips I'm going to pray for. Um, and uh, just we will always, the CVC Missions Facebook page, there's about 800 people on the CVC Missions Facebook group that we're constantly updating things. It's, it's different from the CVC Facebook page because uh, it's closed because we do have to kind of make sure that the people who are signing up we know and we but check it out, and we want to we want to keep you informed we're always putting out prayer requests and those sort of things, so thank you guys for being a part of that so why don't we just pray for those trips we, yeah, why don't we all stand and we'll pray so Lord God, we just come before you right now. We just thank you so much for being um, a God who even though there's unreached people groups around the world. It doesn't mean that those places don't have you there. You're there. But Lord, we know that when people go and present the gospel, you say in Romans, that, it's, that they've got beautiful feet. That people who share the gospel, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. So Lord, we pray for the teams heading to West Virginia this summer. We pray for the teams heading to Indonesia this summer. And we pray that they would have beautiful feet because they would bring good news of Jesus Christ to a lost and dying world. Lord, thank you for all the opportunities as well with missions that we have uh, locally through organizations like Building Hope in the City to partner with and through international friendships to share the gospel with international students from around the world right here in Cleveland. Thank you for opportunities of that people go to Detroit and share the gospel with Bangladeshi communities and and with orphans in El Salvador and medical teams in Mexico and uh, with church planners in Ukraine and medical teams in Ghana. Lord, this church is so generous and gracious. Um, but Lord, we we also pray for the young people within this church body that, Lord, you would raise them up to go. I even think of my own daughter who prays for Ghana and for Algeria. Like, Lord, if you want Charlotte to be a missionary, raise her up to do that as a career. Lord, we, we pray for all the people in this room. Lord, if you want anyone here to go, Lord, we know in Luke 2 it says that the, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few, and that you ask us to pray that the Lord of the harvest would send people into the harvest field. So Lord, we're praying that you would raise up people from within our body to go and drop what they're doing, to drop their nets, to just go as a career. But Lord, we also pray for these teams that are going, that you would bring unity to those teams, that you would use these trips to draw them closer to you, that you would use the trips to sanctify them, to be more like Jesus Christ. But Lord, that that the words that they share would be very clear and that you're Holy Spirit, even now, as the trips are preparing to go, that your Holy Spirit would start softening the hearts of people that are going to be hearing the gospel and that ultimately we would see a harvest field. Lord, we want to see thousands upon thousands of people in Indonesia come to Christ. and We want to see West Virginia transformed by the gospel. And Lord, would you use us? And it's all to your glory and your honor and your fame. In your son's name, amen. Amen.